I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello. Hi. The finale, part two. I want to make a finale pip and a finale reference, but I think that's going to be really lost on people. Why don't you then explain the reference? Because that's always uh, that's always the best kind of cultural reference to drop in, the one that needs a lengthy explanation. Well, I really like the musical Pippin, and there's a lot of things that happen in Pippin where they go, the finale, Pippin, the finale. Previously on the podcast, we've, we've assumed there's a crossover between people who enjoy listening to two idiots in their loft in London talk about succession and people who know the film Eurovision with Will Ferrell inside out. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about it if I were you. Yeah, fine. How is your processing of the emotional <clears throat> wallop of the finale going two How days in? Process. Because we're not sleep deprived now. We should probably t- stop talking about our sleep okay. deprivation. We're like, we're like Tom we at the are, we are, it's exactly who we're being. So I've just been sort of trying to settle in to the juicy morsel that they gave me. And I've I've loved chewing on it and I'll... I'll keep chewing on it, and I'm trying to, like, digest and grieve. How about you? Oh, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. <laughs> so we pressed pause yesterday, really at the uh, at, at the tilt. We left things in Logan's apartment. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the slap. So we didn't talk about the fact that when we were at the BFI, people cheered. When Greg slapped Tom, people cheered almost like it was an abused woman who was fighting back against her attacker. And I I loved it as a moment because it was different to what we've seen Greg do before. But as ever, I don't quite root for Greg's. If anything, I think Greg gets his comeuppance at the end of the episode, both from Tom and from Matson, calling him a Judas in front of that room full of people. I, th- I, I really enjoy... Greg being made to squirm in that moment. And you thought he was squirming? I read it a little differently. That he enjoyed it. That he got attention, like to be mocked, but somehow worthy of a name check is better than no name check at all for for a Greg. Mm. And then I thought in the Tom, not the slap, but in that in that little shift at the very end, I thought, you know, when Tom goes, I got you, of course he's got him. Because Tom needs a place to put his authentic feelings. Right. And it will never be Shiv. Even though they've been through this thing and now they kind of have said the underneaths, there is a shorthand that he has with Greg and there is a, a directness that he will need. He will need that kind of 
What do you call those things? A receptacle? Yeah, he needs a receptacle. And despite all the betrayal, Greg will be that for him moving forward. Anyway, I I think um, Greg gets his just desserts. His power as a Nepo baby has left him because he's not in Waystar Royco anymore. And the fact that his name is nearly Roy or whatever he says in that first or second episode doesn't mean anything in that environment. No, but he's going to mean something to, to Tom. And you loved seeing Matson's battle cry, his kind of action stations, come on, oh. Ebba! That really is, I think, one of my favourite scenes in this entire yeah, show. So oh my God. Why do you love seeing people take charge so much? Because you never fucking do it. <laughs> and, and then we are back at Waystar Royco. They're heading into the board vote. They're all arriving. Arrivals always look so good on this show. Not so much in real life, but on this show. Always exciting. Do you know, so I didn't know, um, before we talked to Mark Mylod, I didn't really know his backstory. And so I didn't know he had any affiliation with like Entourage and Game of Thrones, which is so funny and weird because he was so soft. And I, I, it's so stupid of me, but I'd be like, but you're working with the Entourage guys. Like, you must be a bro. Or I think I think I think a bro would have to be working on Game of Thrones. Whereas it makes sense to me that like a weird nerd where it's on succession, no offense. Actually, compliment. But now that I understand that detail, I feel like, oh, and it'll turn out that all these scenes have been directed by some of the other wonderful people that have directed this show, but just the way they like Well, they bring in bros for this kind of thing. Yeah, they bring in bros for the arrival scenes. No, it, but it, it looks almost like a battle scene is being a set. Like, you right. know, whether it's in Norway, whether it's these it's the, the arrivals of people, the traveling sequences are so satisfying and we got that in spades in this finale do you think i have that energy when i get off an airplane and i'm trying to get to the passport before anybody else i don't have to queue no but one of the things that jeff taught me very early on because he would travel all the time and i wouldn't because i was just a simple girl but this guy was always fucking flying internationally when we got together um the climate crisis is almost single-handedly down to me yeah 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 but you didn't know better and now you know now you know now you know better um And Jeff really taught me that the second you are off an airplane, you are in a race and a competition with the other people to get to the front of the passport control line. And once I understood that, I think I am strangely competitive in certain ways. And I thought, watch me go. I wonder if people who work at the airport watch security camera footage of you getting off a plane and making your way to passport control. Yeah, like it could go viral if there was a camera on me because I'm I'm so strange with how I'm moving. I, I pretend like I'm in a real life video game meow, 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 around. Um, the moment Roman sees Jerry, would the day have gone any differently if he hadn't? So I've now watched that sequence three times, I think, with an understanding of where it ends. And so you see all these little, not little, actually, these big cuts, essentially, that Roman is enduring. And... I don't think it would have done because I think the day going the way it did is about Shiv, not Roman. The question becomes is, is there anything Kendall could have done differently to put Shiv in a different position? Because you think the the, the shoulder forehead thing had already abusively but manipulated Roman to where he needed it him to be yes i think that the the abusive shoulder stitch hug subdued him you know roman has a history of being abused 
And so physical force being used on him in that way is going to activate something in him. And what I took from this was that using physical violence with Roman reminds him to behave appropriately. And of course you're right. Kendall is so obsessed about the prize. Everything is a play. And to, to and, and that was a real moment where a- any sympathy you have for Kendall is lost because over the seasons we've seen him as somebody who despises the abuse that his sibling suffered un- under their father. Mm-hmm. But to get what he wants, he is willing mm-hmm. to deploy, there's that word again, though, that abuse. Mm-hmm. One thought I had is that Kendall is such an almost guy. Go on. Back in the Caribbean, when he is laying out to his siblings why it should be him, he, he is psychologically smart and, and he's emotionally intelligent in in the way that he frames it to them. But he he can't score the goal. He's really bad at scoring the goal. I think he feels like Charlie Brown, that, that life is Lucy pulling the football away from him, when in actual fact, he, he can't kick it straight. But is is there something, you know, part of what surprised me about some of the twists and the turns that occurred once we were in that boardroom was, I will watch the show sometimes and think, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Good luck cleaning up that mess that you just made. And I I didn't have that with Kendall. Well, I didn't think, ooh, you you know once he lies about the kid, that's that's going to fuck him. But before things start exploding, I didn't think, ooh, you shouldn't have done that. That's going to push Shiv in, in a wrong direction. So I, thought, I sort of felt, you know, if you'd asked me to place my bet, it would have been on Kendall. And it was because I, I felt he wasn't, he wasn't fucking up big enough to fuck it. I don't, quite think that he fucks it i think that him just being himself is too much for is, is too irritating to her i think it's a combination of how much yeah. he grates on her and it's that nuclear thing if i can't have it you can't have it either i wonder how long they had to think about the words i can't stomach you because that's exactly that idea of like i just can't stomach something is there any sense in which her vote was handing it to Tom rather than taking it from Kendall? Hmm. I did not read it that way, but I love it as an option. If you're going around a room and there's some kind of situation where you have to say yes or no. My God, Ewan. When you say something other than just yes or no. So Ewan's first do no harm. <laughs> And Stewie, Team Ken, baby. Oh, just get God. your get your vote out. I loved it. It was they were both so <laughs> good. Uh, just just say the thing that everybody else is saying. Don't show your character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just yeah, give don't, your info. Don't put your own stamp on it. And so many people have been waiting all these years for when Kendall has to face up to what happened at the wedding with the waiter who drowned, mm-hmm. and it, it turned out that the Really, the consequence of that that we saw was just Shiv using it as something to throw at him to block his path. Yes, I thought that was so true. So, like, it is going to come up again, and he is going to pay a price for it, but not the price that the rest of us would presumably right. Have yes, to pay. yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, right, 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 right. That's how it would go. It would be weaponized, but not in a, a way that puts him in prison. And I, and I always felt that it'd come from Shiv 
rather than Roman. There was something about, do you remember in the last season when the, the night that he was due to go on that talk show and then she released a, an open letter to the press, basically uh-huh. a takedown of his character. There's, there was a viciousness in that, a public viciousness in that, that I think is is beyond anything we've seen from anyone else. Even Logan, who would do that kind of shit, but he would do it through whispers and briefs. Well, and, you know, that that was... This thing I was thinking about the ending was, are we seeing a different level of conflict to what we've seen before? Do they recover from this? Yeah. So I think that they either do or they don't. The, the, the whole family is like Tom and Jerry or Spy versus Spy. Yeah. Did you like the Tom we saw mm-hmm. as he came in and took charge? You love people taking charge so much. I, I love it. You know, and again, it was another fantastic entrance. Yeah. And it was, it was, um, really fun to watch that scene again after having listened to Jesse talk about why that person felt like the right one to him. There was hard, this fundamental hard work. A steeliness. A steeliness in Tom that the princelings lacked. I I think of Shiv telling him he's servile and then thinking... Oh, he was servile whilst biding his time because this isn't a servile character. It's like so many people, I think, will relate to the idea of being in a job and thinking, oh, if I was in charge, that fucker would be going, things would be different. And the way he assumes that mantle of power, the transformation, I thought was very satisfying to see. Mm-hmm. Not if you're Carlo Frank. He's just, he's just ready to, what do you call him, the pair of, he doesn't need that pair of old cunts over his shoulder. Yeah. And it made me think of, was it in the, I can't remember if it was Logan's birthday or in the Wake episode, where Carl gives Tom a very frank appraisal of himself. Yes. <laughs> you know. God, yes. I'd forgotten about that moment. Do you know who hadn't forgotten about that moment? Wamsgans. No, he hadn't. He just had to stand there and swallow it. Um. Kieran, the way Kieran Culkin was also playing the sort of incredibly subtle beats of his breakdown. Tell me more. I just thought about Jerry and the fact that Jerry's staying on and then the way that he plays her arrival. And then the, uh, just, just how truthful it felt when he has his martini at the end with that camera up on it it was like watching it more like watching a documentary than like watching someone act a scene to close out a television show i do wonder if out of the three of them roman is the one who will most quickly take something positive out of this yes this is my thing is where i think there's some hopefulness shiv and ken end in a place that shows no progress And you could argue that Roman is in a place that's showing progress, that there's some kind of rock bottom having to confront moment that he's going through that can affect a positive move forward for him. Shiv and Tom? Just back on the carousel, man. Except this, it's a different carousel, right? And then we should end, as the show did, on the number one boy. Wow. Do, you know what, do you know what it reminded me of more than anything, the end, the ending? It reminded me of a scene we've talked about a lot. It's in season two when Logan has allowed Kendall back into, into the firm, but he's, break, he's broken him. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to the extent that I think he, he sets up a little workspace at the end of his desk oh, for yeah. Kendall. And and we see Kendall upon that roof and he, he's, I think, we're supposed to think that he's thinking about jumping. And then by the end of the episode, Logan's caught wind of that. It might, might have been in Panic Room, might have been in that episode. Um, Logan's caught wind of that, I think, via Colin and had those barriers erected so Kendall can't do that, which I think you sometimes thought might be an act of kindness, whereas I've seen... An act of control. Yeah, yeah, like a bird having his his wings clipped. And I felt that at the end, with Colin being so so close, there's lots of suggestions of what that could mean. But one of them is is that Kendall can't just throw himself into the river. Yes. And we have a very, I know already we've got this, um, someone who worked on set. And so we do have it confirmed that they did a bunch of takes where he tries to throw himself over. And Colin stops him. And Colin stops him. And they Uh didn't, that wasn't drafted. So, so it actually apparently got very scary because there was really no insurance policy for the two actors falling in the water, which could have happened. And, and, and Colin's face. I'm not just being nice to Scott Nicholson because he was very nice to us. His acting is unbelievable. I just felt the layers that he communicated in this final episode, these last couple final episodes in terms of what Colin is going through, just with his little expression on his sweet, his sweet face. And then that incredible piece of music, which I, I feel like the music is mixed to feel like drowning. Mm. It drowns everything. And then when it cuts and you hear silence, I hear water. But such a moment, such a punch. It's done. What will happen next? Well, we got Jesse to. We got it. We've got the the hot scoop on yesterday's episode. We know what happens next. Speaking of Jesse, speaking of the big D, coming up next, my my man, my boy, my sweet true heart, <laughs> succession creator Jesse Armstrong. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you have a stylist? No. 
Then what happens when you have to go to award shows? You're just going into your closet for a suit. Yeah. There's not someone who pulls you a rail. Have you ever heard that term before? There's somebody helped me do that for my wedding. We were fil- filming a sh- uh, film with David and Robert Magicians, and we- I was away from home, and it's my wedding, and um, and somebody kindly did that and, and said this is something that can happen, and I just remember these suits arriving, and I didn't really maybe love them, but I was like. Felt too awkward. I'm buying one of these suits today. Like, there's no way. Like, I think we're in, we might have been in Skegness. And it was like, okay. So did I, you get married in a suit you gonna, didn't like? A little bit, yeah. Such a pleaser. So I mean, a, also, you don't know. Like, Oh, you're thinking, get, yeah. Okay. I don't know what a fancy suit looked like at that age. But you know now. Now I know better. Now, yeah, I'm relaxed into my, I'm giving these speeches about how I love everyone in a suit I like. And I'm a fully realized human being. So, so wait, but, 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 wait, but you go to the Emmys yes. and, and you're just dressing yourself head to toe for the Emmys. Yes. I mean, I've Googled <laughs> and you look great. Thank you. I mean, men, the suit, Yeah, black but suit things fits. can go wrong. And look, I've seen you make some choices that I haven't enjoyed as much. And I'll tell you that's your face. <laughs> but look, you always look so great. I'm joking with you. But, but it's all every time it's been you. Yes. No one's been like, we'd like to send Jesse Armstrong this suit. No. I think we, we, we went to the Oscars with um, In The Loop, and I think that my agent got uh, a suit. I'd heard, we'd heard that we, they gave suits for free. Oh. And it, I think it took a little bit long. It's like, yeah, they, we do. Is it a writer? And there are four of them. Yeah, sure, we'll send it over. So it, it wasn't like, whatever you want, come to come to this hotel room. We found out he doesn't have a valet to dress him. <laughs> I didn't think you were someone who was actually putting clothing on you. I just assumed. No, yeah, I guess I... All those sharp looks you're turning. Thank you. But you're, it's all big boy on his own. All right. That, um, that, that trust in the audience's intelligence... Feel. Dragging the show back. Uh, but, thank you, Jack. I have no... I mean, I have so much interest, but we have to give the people what they want, but also... But I, I have to edit a podcast where Sarah can easily talk for 20 minutes about what she'd like to see you wearing. <laughs> so I know I know how this could go if we don't rein it in. Good. Um, that intelligence that, that you credit the audience with, and that's, and that's worked so well for you, it feels that the the entertainment industry can sometimes actively try to suppress that way of thinking. You know, oh, people won't get it. You need to make this clear. What, what was the way through with this show that you, you avoided that? Is that an HBO thing? I think it's an HBO thing, isn't it? They've got a history of, of, of doing that and um, the, sh- the shows, you know, The Last of Us and White Lotus. There's a variety of show that they make which has a history of, doing that that's just in the current era and you know i'm a big um sopranos and six feet under fan they've done it again and again so i guess they're amenable to that kind of thing so, so then why doesn't the rest of the industry see that and yes. think that's yes. that's the way to treat creators i don't know i mean i guess not every show is interested in you know some shows aren't interested in you know 24 is doing being 24 where it was a long time ago when it was on and it's doing a totally different thing i mean a little bit i agree with you of like yeah i think people would enjoy a few more shows where you're invited to think about people's psychology uh, at a deeper level it's novelistic i guess a more novelistic yes. approach yes i've again a reason i think succession does a certain kind of thing for a certain kind of person is i'll think about like 
certain books that I've really loved or certain authors that I love would never have their books turned into films because there's no film there. Yes. Because there's no huge narrative arc. It's really the internal life of the character. And I almost feel like you took that book that didn't exist and turned that into the film that's like never been made out of all the Philip Roth books or something. Well, yeah. Well, that's very nice. I'm um, actually. I'm not trying to be nice. I'm trying to let you know that I read Philip Roth. It's not like <laughs> that's the. I'm like a bit of a reader. Then can you spot which Philip Roth novel we stole, oh, or shit. I stole the, Keep the going. stole the uh, or modified a version of Logan's um, sister's death from Rose. Rose. Status theater. No. It, 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 I've actually forgotten the title of it, but he's wrote a short, late novel where oh, um, no. it might be called Nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where oh, well, I didn't, it's, anyway, I don't know it's a, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. much, it's a very, it's, the plot is very similar. Anyway. It's like wondering about your relationship with earnestness and how it's changed over the years. Because one of the things that I think is brilliant in succession, that really comes together in succession, is there is kind of repression and the things that the characters can't say or don't say to each other so it never feels cloying or cheesy or or sentimental there are some really beautiful moments of of connection between people but um that it's almost like this fear of earnestness stops it from from ever being cloying if you see what i mean yeah, that's a nice thing to say. I can recognise it. I don't think I've got anything useful to add, really. I think that's something you wrestle with in stuff. I'd hope not to be too armour-plated and fakely glib and, and not letting that stuff in. But obviously we're in a world of a certain amount of glibness and self-protection and narcissism. Anyway, I think you're dead right on one of the kind of axis axes that go through the show sarah was so disappointed when she found out there was no sobbing in the writer's room oh yeah i thought like what i thought was there are all these you're, you're writing about people well if i may be the first to say <laughs> and i thought so if you're writing that well and it's coming from these conversations that you guys kind of get get into if someone's talking about here's here's what it felt like to me when someone died or here's what i was thinking about the time my dad got sick mm. are all the writers getting through that stuff without tears and it turns out that you are but i just assumed it like turned into a therapy session but it turns out you guys don't need to go there you get there in the work <laughs> There's a, you know, there's a certain amount, and hopefully we're all respectful to each other and nice. There's a certain amount of that. But we're, you know, it's a pretty heavily comedy room. Even the playwrights who are in there are often have a great facility for comedy. And so it's usually filtered through a, a, f- a funny filter. And then maybe on, when we're on our own on the page, the layers which are less comic can come forward um, it tends it's not an earnest room people are generous in, tell, in telling some personal stuff and their people are as you know some of people's feelings get re dug into the show and that's one of the reasons hopefully it's a rich show is that there's there's a lot of really smart people who've done at least a bit of thinking about their own feelings actually even funnier if they haven't done any thinking about their own feelings <laughs> it can help them that <laughs> spot that in the room uh, but uh, yeah the, the, those varieties of experience that People, uh, I feel really, uh, this is an earnest thing to say, but I do feel really uh, lucky that uh, people are willing to talk about the things which make the show 
richer. If you picture yourself in 2016, 2017, did you know you were going to make something that was about interpretation so much? No. No, I don't think so. I think that's a good. I hadn't done, you know, this. I'd written me, Sam, and John Brown did the show Babylon, which is a police drama, which was, you know, similar territory. I'd written Black Mirror for Charlie Brooker on my own. But I really wasn't very experienced as a drama long form writer or as a. I'm not a solo writer, I'm showrunner with, with my colleagues, but I'm uh, doing it, making those final decisions on my own. So I had done not, not, not done that. I'd always done it in concert with Sam on Peep Show and Fresh Meat and things. Uh, so what the show has developed into is has been quite organic. Yes, but but something I was thinking about this as I was getting ready to come here, it's not like listening to Please Please Me and then listening to Sergeant Pepper or Abbey Road. You might feel differently because you were on the inside of it, but the, the first episode, the first series, it doesn't feel wildly different no. to the last one it f- all, all feels of a piece in this way it's not like a band where you see this development album to album or it's not even like watching the simpsons where those early episodes you understand the influence they had but the animation's a bit dodgy and the characters haven't found themselves it kind of hits the ground running so what whatever that inexperience in in drama is doesn't show no and to be sort of uh, either fair to myself or blow my own and my fair, uh, earlier writing partners trumpets the peep show was a sitcom but it was like interested in ambiguity and gaps and what people you know, it's a lot about what people think and don't say right so there's more of a track record of that sort of stuff and so yeah i hope it in a way i guess i've just one of the things I've come to realise is, is how, especially with these actors, how much of that stuff we can do and how enjoyable mm. it is to leave things out and leave it to them and just how smart audiences are and, and you know, people, you know, you you can so often take, you can take out, well, and that's what we do a lot in the script, is you can just take out so much and people read it, right? You can write a whole love scene and, and all you need to do is tell two smart actors, oh, by the way, you're hot for each other and you don't put in fact don't put any words in it because uh, any words to that effect because that will blow it up to smithereens or to, to in my estimation like it's much more interesting if it's that's one of the remarkable things about language isn't it of like fuck you can mean i love you or it can mean i never want to see you again depending on the context and the level and the everything i mean i think that's sort of one, one of these things back to like why this show what is it like why is it making weird crazy sci-fi fans out of normal people, no offense to anyone, but I, I think it's something to do with how much is left out. I think that's so other to how kind of every other bit of television, even stuff I've really loved, doesn't leave out what Succession does. I think we have high ambitions for the show and hopefully a high regard for the audience in terms of that like, I get easily bored, like I'm maybe slightly um, over scared of being bored it's a feeling i really don't like and i'm really eager for the audience never to be bored and i guess that for me that engagement what fosters that level of engagement is giving people largely people that they're interested in enough like who who could be bored at a party with a bunch of people if you could hear all their conversations mm-hmm. i mean it's i think it's impossible to be bored 
by human beings. So if we can give you a full picture of these people and you can and you really see the different dimensions in them, I think hopefully you foster a deep level of of interest in the audience. So I guess that's my that's what I hope is happening. Listen, everything is going so great. We can all agree. It's only uphill from here. And look how far you've come so far. But when when there are the little people who have to be like, I can't get into it, or this is my criticism, or I don't uh-huh. like succession because, number one, do you have an awareness of what those criticisms are? And does it bother you at all? Like, is it, is it somehow this weird little niggle that gets in despite all the Emmys? Or are you like, no, I, I don't care. I have my Emmys. Uh, no. Uh, and I hope it's not the Emmys. I hope it's the feeling satisfied with the show. I honestly, know I do. I know, I know. But but people do. People fixate on them, and then it becomes a fixation. It's a weird circular kind of thing. Anyway, I don't mind at all. There are people who are like they're all horrible characters. That's fine. Um, it's too businessy, or yeah, most of the criticism don't hurt because I don't think they're right. Honestly, oh my God, so that's so great. So, uh, and and if they do, that's fine. That's re- yeah. The uh, the the reason I don't look at stuff, I guess, is two reasons. One is I love talking about the show, the characters, the psychology, but I can only do it like I can do it with Will and Lucy and Georgia and Tony and John. I can't do it with every. Like, that would send you crazy, right, if you were trying to have a conversation with mm. the world about it. So it needs to be focused. And, and those things, If they, I've known the experience of having a little thing come into you. You can't write in opposition to what some person thinks that you don't have any engagement with. So that's not – it's just not useful to have too much – not that you can totally screen it out, but it's not useful to have too much engagement with that stuff. Um and what's the second reason? Oh, yeah, because you, you also you, I have a ego, a papery ego that's easily torn and a thing that looks totally, even though the show is it's ludicrously well regarded and uh, it's been so nice to see people like it so much. It's dumb what little things niggle or people complain about a hat or a thing or the Vichy Suarez soup guy says that's not how you do Vichy Suarez and you think it wasn't meant to be Vichy Suarez. I don't know. You get you get. <laughs> You get hung up on these little tiny niggles, which are not fun to think about. So I guess I'll have a few of those if I dive it back into the stuff. But mainly I'm just I will be really interested to read interesting people about it. I think I what my question was going to be, are you sick of succession? Now? <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you are you are you getting a little bit like oh, that fucking show? I'm gonna. I'm gonna see. I want to try and answer this for Honest. you in a real way. Good, because it must. It's so, become a little bit of a job. But then, but I also can sense a sort of discomfort you have with some compliments. So I'm gonna try and like. I don't know. I'm just gonna try and ride a wave as I answer that, <laughs> just, but just, then bring it back to you. But you can also close down. your eyes. So I think I feel a little dirty focusing so much on someone else's work. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can it, imagine. It feels a little like. Yeah, creepy and gross and then you kind of go out and try and do your real job and you're kind of bad at it because your wheels aren't greased and people are asking you about it and you're like I don't fucking know like so I feel gross so then imagine how gross I would feel if I was doing anything other than a work as prestigious <laughs> um, I get that but then but- okay yeah, please we're not here to talk about me although if you'd like to more <laughs> No, well, no, that's no. a great so, observation, what, what and I can totally that? imagine that. I guess the 
that I really get. And yeah, well, to toss your compliment back to you, you the your podcast of which i've not listened to that much i'm gonna soon gonna listen to all the podcasts that are, are good. you really you've, you've said that a few times and i'm trying to figure out if it's you kind of trying to be this nice guy because i actually don't see it for you i think emotionally you're a healthy dude i i don't foresee it that you're gonna in like a month or so really start delving into the fan culture you really think you'll start reading stuff and like listening to the high-end podcasts? yeah i think i will really yeah uh, and what I was going to say was, when I have listened to it, you bring a lot of yourselves to it. So it's it's like a comedy. It's my it's a good approach to the show. I would say it's a, like a comedy. Anyway, so I don't think you should feel too dirty about. It's like a way of talking, right? A lot of what we talked about in the pub is this show or that show, and it's a way of something finding to, out something about to hang it on and follow up thing. Am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to everything? Not everything, but I am one of the people in the world who's most interested in succession, probably. So now that it feel everything feels a little bit lighter, I will feel comfortable, I think, looking at what interesting people have said about the show. How are you finding time? You, you seem to absorb a lot of uh, culture, political writing. Where does this fit in? When are you doing this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not during when we're doing the show. I'm not off to the British Museum very often. When the show's going on, um, it's it's a it's a, well, it goes into very distinct portions. The writers' room, there is still some time to do stuff and read stuff. In production, when we're in the US, I'm pretty all consumed by that. And then post production, this it's a short own thing. When do you read? Well, I guess I read a bit for daytime reading. I read when I can. Uh, and I guess a lot of the reading for this show happened at the beginning. So I read a lot of Barbarians at the Gates and Disney Wars and all the Redstone stuff and the Maxwell stuff. So I did a ton of reading then. And then as stuff comes, and I, I, re, I try and read the Financial Times because it's quite it's a good paper. And it also has for our, for us, it used to have it was like every day it felt like they were giving remarkable story shapes away for free all th- all through it you know those business stories which w- uh, look pretty dry when you start to understand what's going on are not dry in the least and i know that some people just tune out to that everything financial and business related in the show and i hopefully you can still enjoy it without n- understanding it but you can feel that it's right and you feel comfortable to think about the things which i am interested in, which is the psychology but i guess the finance and business is particularly impenetrable to you until you un- it takes a long time to build up some building blocks and once you decode it you can be like oh so th- a board is just this and it's fucking brutal on a board and it's basically these people having a meeting before and going we're going to fuck this person are you on board for it for a financial aim uh, but it's layered over with a lot of language which which obfuscates that so so i guess it took me a while to understand enough to find it interesting did you have to work to get into it or were you naturally into it? No, I mean, I don't know why, because I didn't grow up near sort of power, really. And maybe that is why why I'm interested in it. I guess I was interested in politics. I worked in politics a little bit, and that's one variety of power. And I... Oh, my gosh. Do you know what I feel you should do next? You're, we're not even going to ask you what you're Go up on. to. I'm run, just going to tell for you. Office. No, shut up. <laughs> I think speech writing for you. Yeah, I think but, but easier listen, to write for someone else. No, you're you're writing for listen. You're for, and you're the writer for the everyman. Okay, so it's not like these gross politicians. It's like someone needs a good speech at a wedding, mm-hmm. and they don't want to fuck it. Mm-hmm. And they can they go onto oh. a website, 
that is jessiearmstrongone.com. <laughs> And they can fill out a form. Oh, it, it's making me give... feel so happy that I'm not going to have to do this. But it's so maybe nice it... for people, and they'd like give great speeches at weddings and funerals. Jesse seems unassuming, but I think you might be slightly underestimating his ambition. Well, even putting aside the business side of it, I just would hate to do that, and it would feel like such a responsibility. And I just think I'd get the tone completely wrong. Have you ever been a best man? Yeah, I have. have I bet you've been. It... Have you been the best man a lot of times? No. How many? Twice. And did you land it? I don't know if I did, to be honest. Uh, well, I, yeah, they're my yeah. Well, we'll, well, let's. I'll check in with my friends what they think whether I did or not. But I think when you're young, you hate speeches, spe- things. This is the boring bit. As you get a bit older, you're like, will somebody bring this thing together and tell me what it is? And I guess I, if I could go back, I would just be. I would just say I love you a lot more and try and be like. You know what? I'm not going to do jokes, but I love you. Yeah. you know, this person's lovely, and isn't it all lovely us being here? And we're all going to be dead soon. So let's fucking try and you know have a nice time instead of being a bit like, oh, I'm going to try and do a funny speech. I wonder with the comedy. Um, I've I've heard comedy writers sometimes be a bit sniffy about drama writing in the past. Say so saying you know you think dramas are trying writing comedy, and I, I think part of the reason of that is is when something doesn't land in a comedy. You, you are acutely and often painfully aware of it. Whereas in a drama, you can kind of sometimes just get from A to B. You can cover the cracks more easily than you can in comedy. And I wondered if your background in having to land every moment is, is part of what has driven the obsession in, in getting everything just right. Yeah, well, that's kind of you to say. And there, there aren't, you know, I think Ross T. Davis, Sally Wainwright, I think of in the UK, you know, it, it, if, as the sort of pinnacle of, of, of people who write drama, they, I think they are all, they both, those two examples, they're like really thoroughly imbued with comedy. There aren't, there in a way, there aren't that many people who don't have a comic twist to their storytelling, even if it's not, uh, you know, Happy Valley is not funny all the time but it is but it is funny it is funny and if it wasn't it wouldn't be the show that it is but yeah I think comedy does drive you to attention to detail it's like a joke is like a bit of poetry it's usually not paraphrasable right or if you do paraphrase it it loses its power you know and somebody who's a stand-up and you hear someone retell a bit of Chris Rock or Jerry Seinfeld and you're like yeah, but you used the wrong word there, and that yeah. meant that the whole joke was shit. <laughs> like that, it's really important to get the right word, and so I think that attention to word order and precise words, which is ironic because, as you know, there's also um, room for improvisation in the show. But 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 the the, the you know the cast learn the scripts pretty carefully, so often um, we're getting it precisely on script. And if I care a lot, I can mention it anyway. Yeah, we care a lot about that. I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure drama writers really care about the order of their words too, but it's it's a particular obsession maybe in comedy. One thing, and it took me a long time with the show, to not be looking for Chekhov's guns. Because uh-huh. you're so accustomed to watching drama and thinking, yeah, I'm going to be clever and just spot this being seeded here and then I'll be the person who's... And, and, and it took me a long time to realise that Succession doesn't really work like that but I think there are some some things in writing that it almost feels inevitable like Kendall being an addict I I don't think I've ever seen an addict on television without a relapse being part of the story and and it was part of our story but I wasn't especially intrigued by that dynamic 
Why did you do it if you weren't that intrigued by it? It just felt right. It's that episode mm. in the in the desert, and the it, it came after episode six of the first season, and it just felt like he was in a very tough place, and so we did it because it felt right. But the episode isn't really about that. I, I don't want to be glib about addiction. But I guess there's, I think it's quite heavily covered, it's well covered yeah. in the culture. We've got some stuff to say about power and also, I guess, about the way that money can insulate you from the worst, some of the worst things that can happen to you if you don't have money and you find yourself addicted. Well, I am embarrassed to say as a fan of the show, that's why I was really surprised when the dead kid came up at the end, because I thought you were telling me that the closure of that narrative was when Ken unburdened himself in that scene with the siblings. I thought the fact that he was able to sit there and sob and say, I killed a kid. Can I be with you guys? I thought the show was saying, you know, this fucker is not going to have to pay a price for killing someone. Uh-huh. Well, well, he doesn't. He doesn't well, no, pay he doesn't, a, but, he doesn't, but, he doesn't yeah. pay the price that most people yeah. might and should we should be very clear? We think that Kendall should have been punished for his crime. Yeah, although I feel a bit like he fucked that kid. We he didn't do that much wrong. He, you know, yeah, he didn't fight as hard as he should yeah. have done to well, save he him. Did, he did. He no, probably was, dived down more, yeah. more times than I would have done. It Look at the cold. true Kendall apologist, is Jesse Armstrong. It was the, it was the covering the co- the covering up is the is the bad thing. Eh. There's um, there's a, a Twitter account called Megs succession text i think uh-huh. that is she's um, the funniest one yeah it's 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 um i think she's got a thing calling it vehicular manslaughter yeah yeah i think that's the worst you could say <laughs> she wrote yeah. a good blog post about what it is to be a young person and obsessed with a show as well okay. that you like i think good. But um, it's also cool when middle-aged people are obsessed and that is also important to you <laughs> right you very middle-aged i want to feel valuable in this finale mm-hmm. there are two big things that are deployed Yes. Kendall's kids. Uh-huh. Why are you laughing? You think this is too ambitious of a question? Well, I, like two things in his head. Yeah. I like the word deployed. No, I, I think I'm mis- I can I think feel I'm... these things being missiles. I think I miss... My husband says that I gear up with my questions too much, but some of us have not been interviewing professionally for 20 years, so we're learning on the job. Um, Kendall's kids. Yes. The dead kid. Yes. These two hanging pieces, one of which I think the audience is kind of really aware that one of them is a hanging piece. Yes. Kendall's kids, I wasn't... The sort of fertility history. Yeah, so you sort of, we sort of know there's a story there, but for all we know, maybe there isn't any story there and it's, um, it's an irrelevance. And I was wondering sort of how, how did you decide when those pieces of information were going to get back in have you always known i guess the yeah i think that's it i think i have an answer to that because a lot of times those to those questions it's just like i can't fucking remember it was in the room or when i was writing it but i think that the 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 death we always knew that would be a turning point in the room like that closeness that they had when he told them that felt like something it felt like in a way that's what sustained them certainly across the months when we weren't with them and you join them again in the beginning of the season and to a certain degree it's the undercurrent even when things go badly between them and they're fucking each other over there is a kind of magnetic wave that's still coming through the universe um and when he denies that we knew that that would be very significant to the other two. Like, if you're going to do that, that's that's oh fundamental. God. That was real between us. And if you're going to deny that, like, oh, no. I think the 
bringing into it this horrible stuff that that Logan would say, and we've we've touched on how how a different generation could be much more brutal about things which we n- now know to think about more carefully. So I think that was more of a decision in the writing of like, oh fuck, I wouldn't be surprised if in that moment, if it, you know, I guess bloodlines hover around and it's a regal thing bastard sons and all that very visceral kind of medieval feeling and that would be quite interesting if that kind of came into the room so did you, when, when you were casting kendall's children like was that something you always knew would be part of this story uh, uh not that it would get come to a denouement like that no i think that was just a choice of thinking about different ways that people are right um pre-succession yes post peep show yes you would have at this point had a number of different projects that you were trying to get off the ground. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it is probably. Does a world <laughs> exist in which any of those projects get revisited now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also since you've, since you've finished, or, or even while you've been working on the show, are you somebody for whom new ideas are going in the notebook all the time? Yeah. Yeah? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. How, how long are you thinking of leaving it? Before I do something else, mm-hmm. I'm I'm giving myself the option of never doing anything ever again. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you can. I think it's. <laughs> I've really been looking at your bio and your Wikipedia page, and I've run a lot of numbers, and I think that you have to keep working. I, I don't think yeah. you can be that happy without work, and no. not in a sad way, mm-hmm. in an okay way. Yeah, I think that's true, but I'm trying to be open to the possibility. I think I'll, I'll always go to my office and read things, but I maybe like the research could process you? could take 10 years or something. That's wonderful for you. Yeah, that would be good for me. Here's, here's who I see as a template for you. Yes. George Lucas. I think you should just keep going back into succession, just tweaking with it, changing things as technology <laughs> develops, yeah, and fixing lines that you don't like. It's possible. We've got a lot of alts. We could, uh, yeah. I have a thing that I have to do. Uh-huh. I'm not feeling great about it, uh-huh. but I think I have to, so I'm just going to go for it. Okay. Okay. So we, I have this little feature that I do on the podcast where... <laughs> It was a very organic, and you're a creative. We're kind of the same. We're kind of peers. <laughs> yes. Just the more I've done this podcast, the more I realize people think of you and I as equals. They think of the podcast as a companion piece in the truest sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like yeah. really sad about the pod ending. And I, one of the little fixtures that I've developed for my fans, because uh-huh. you're not the only one who has them, okay? Uh-huh. Is that I I talk to you directly. Okay. Okay, so the world falls away, uh-huh. and there are no listeners anymore. And my Jeff isn't there, uh-huh. and it's just me and you, uh-huh. and I talk to you. Okay. So w- what I think our listeners need is uh-huh. for me to do that now okay. with you here. Okay. Because you see how I'm letting them down if I don't. Okay. But it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, I would imagine so. But I also feel that I have to, like, get myself into the emotional Who's place. it going to be worse for, me or you? I think it might be worse for you. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no one's thinking about my feelings. No, yours don't matter. <laughs> So I think, I've noticed that sometimes when you're taking something in, you close your eyes anyway. So yes. you can do that. And okay. then maybe, I think I might close my eyes as well. So <laughs> okay. I think it could be okay. helpful. Okay. okay. But I have to also sort of remember my questions. But I also have learned about this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, I'm just getting into it. I've learned that if I think about it too hard, it's not funny. <laughs> and I sometimes just kind of have to fly off the seat of my pants. But also okay. I'm not very good at improvisation. <laughs> okay. 
oh Jesse. Uh huh. The feature that I do is called Dear Jesse. So okay. we're, it's sort of like a real Dear Jesse, and you're but you're here with me now. Okay. So I'm using my voice to kind of just settle us into each other in this way. How are you doing on the other side? Yeah, it's pretty tough. It's pretty hard for you. <laughs> Listen, you let's one? give it a go. It's just okay. I don't know where we're going. Okay. Dear Jesse, can you hear me? Because I'm being real quiet right yeah. now, which is not natural for me. Dear Jesse, I've like. The thing I think about a lot with you is your facial hair. <laughs> oh, dear. Like, and I'm not saying it's sexual, but I'm not saying that it's not, okay? <laughs> and, like, what are the... Cho- so, like, for me, for you, it's, like, beard always. Like, beard and glasses always. Mm-hmm. But, like, what journey are you going on when you decide to be clean-shaven? Well, I rarely... I'm Please gonna, whisper. I'm going to... No, I can't whisper. <laughs> okay, okay, it's okay. going to get too weird for okay, me. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look at Jeff and pretend that he's up. That could get quite yeah. weird as well. Okay. I, what, I'm very rarely clean shaven. I get a bit of razor burn. Okay. That's fine. But like, I'm going to, you do these no, 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 like we're, in a, we're in a weird you. psychodrama I'm and I'm going to do them like we're on the Today program. I think that's a great combination. I see why you're the showrunner and I just want to like thank you privately for advocating for yourself and your needs. Okay. But I'm back into my zone now. Sure. Dear Jesse, like, I know, th- I, I know that you're very into your swimming, and that's, like, part of your physical and mental health regime, I feel. And I was just wondering, like, what kind of swimsuit you wear. <laughs> uh, it's a red pair of shorts. How tight are they? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, I okay. can't okay, get okay, into okay, that. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay, that's fine. Dear Jesse. You, um, I'm just thinking about like how you're doing some nice treats for yourself now that you've finished. You know, are you doing nice treats for yourself? Just up to a point. Okay. Um, are you going like I basically? I want to know if you're. I want to know if you're into the music of ABBA. <laughs> uh, ABBA's complicated for my generation of men. Probably, I think. I wonder what Jeff's view is. I, I feel that I got on board with ABBA in the nineties. I think the the enlightened view is ABBA are great, all their songs are amazing, and they make you feel joy. But if you grew up in a certain NME-infested subculture, you were taught that they weren't cool, and that's bad for the people who learned that. But it's a difficult lesson we're trying to unlearn. Well, I think if, I think that I'm part of your journey. <laughs> you should go to ABBA Voyage. Well, I have heard very good things about it. But you're not interested. I can feel that from you. Well, I, I want no one has been able to clearly explain to me what the technology is. Does, why are you asking those questions? It's just <laughs> about like it's about giving over to the joy. But I don't. I think I don't think it's for you. I okay, <laughs> dear Jesse, dear Jesse, <laughs> I'm finding it. Do you think it's it's possible that like at some point <laughs> you'd want to like go swimming together in the mixed ponds at Hampstead Heath and spitball ideas about your next project, but, like, do it with me instead of with Lucy Preble and Tony Roche. I don't want to be... I don't want to be... I just don't think... Even Sam and I Uh would generally be fully clothed during any uh, spitballing. So I just just don't think I can transition to a a more freestyle spitballing session. (laughs) So it's not... It's not you. It's just anyone, anyone, anyone at the mixed ponds. But dear Jesse, what if? Shh, no, no, no. Shh, 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 shh. What if we were floating on our backs, looking up, and there was no eye contact, and then you yeah, spitball yeah. that way? It's, it's getting better. Okay. It's, um, 
Who, maybe do you think would Jamie be there to keep notes? Yes. Is he comfortable? Would he be comfortable if I was there with you guys in the mixed bands? <laughs> no, it's not a good venue for me. I like Pret. I like an, what, I like an extra hot flat white and I need to be at the desk. Don't speak. I think maybe I'm finished now. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you've got to dear Jesse. Jesse. I, I sort of knew it would make him uncomfortable, but I thought it'll be better for my podcast. I've noticed you're very comfortable using the phrase my podcast, my show. Yeah, I know. And, and if you're listening to that thinking, I just want more. I just want to hear Jesse talk more. And maybe you're thinking, not only do I want to hear Jesse talk more, I want to hear him talk more to Sarah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, and you want to see us in person? You want to feel that electricity in the room? Not a problem. We've got you, Jeff. Go. Thursday, the 15th of June, Central London, Gower Street at the Cruciform Theatre. We are taking part in the Orwell Festival 2023 and we're hosting a conversation with Jesse. It's called Politics and Drama. That's the headline on the marquee. And I'll say right now, you're taking politics, I'm taking drama. <laughs> We're both taking Jesse. I'm taking the lower half of his, <laughs> kind of his top half. But it's, it's going to be a wide-ranging conversation. <laughs> Obviously, that'll be the anchor for it. But I'm sure we're going to get into loads of stuff. Do you think I'm truly capable of a wide-ranging conversation with Jesse Armstrong? Yes. Do you think so? Yes. All right, I'll take drama lower half. You take top half politics. Done. And we'd love for you to, uh, to, to come along. I believe the tickets are on sale now. Great. If you Google Orwell Festival 2023... It's extremely reasonably priced, as it turns out. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. A ticket's from £5. That seems crazy to me. That's like shitty work-in-progress price. <laughs> like, I've stood in some disgusting basements in Brighton to, like, read notes from a notepad and charged £6.50. This seems crazy. Oh, is this all very, like, Orwell, Orwell, like, helpful, helpful, good, good people? Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. There's no show business vultures looking to make a quick Yeah! <laughs> um, so so um, I'm guessing we're not going to have a, a budget to have dancers. I'll dance for Jesse. <laughs> and I'll do any style he wants. He just lets me know my shoe style. Tap. I can do tap, but I need my tap shoes. Modern? Uh, modern, barefoot. I could find some point shoes if he wants a little en point. <laughs> Whatever he wants. Lap. Done. I've watched Hustlers. I can try and imitate like a certain move if that was of interest to him. <laughs> What's it called? The drop. Oh, when you drop it like it's hot? Yeah. Genuinely not. Not like I, there was a time when I could drop it like it's hot, but my knees are one of the first parts of me that's going and I don't think I still can. So what are you dropping it like it's tepid? I think I have to get into a low position and then writhe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think changing levels is not my my strong suit at 44. I just want to say, because I think this conversation might be adversely affecting ticket sales. <laughs> I think, well then, fuck it. None, none of this, this is, is going to happen. If this is adver adversely affecting ticket sales and I don't want you there in the first place, I think that, you know, like some men want ethical pornography. I think Jesse would want ethical dancing and I might be just the lady to give that to him. An ethical lap dance. Yeah, I think I could give him, no, probably I can't give an ethical, well, yeah, I, I, here's what I think. 
I don't think he wants an ethical lap dance. I don't think he wants a lap dance. I feel like maybe I could be making him angry right now. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if they're, they're messaging that the Orwell Festival putting out there and the message that we're giving here are, are two, we're describing two very different I events. I sort of disagree because I, you know me, I, I have to stop saying it. I've said it so much recently, it's becoming a verbal tick. But I like to be honest as often as I can, except when I'm lying. And... I felt like a little out of, I'm a little afraid of the, or it feels a little too highfalutin for me. So I'm going to try and drag it down in a fun way so that not, you know, my hope would be that, that people feel it's not too dry. So there might be people who are thinking, oh, I'd love to hear Jesse Armstrong talk succession, but... Oh my God! Are they going to be getting into some uh, some Orwellian themes mm-hmm, and discourse? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes, but you'll keep dragging. Yeah, and then dragging you'll be like, "Why back. is this middle aged woman writhing on the floor in front of Jesse?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll I will as often can be the case seem like I'm a bit much. Thursday, fifteenth of June, seven o'clock, Chris Film Theatre at the University College London on Gower Street. Go to. Orwellfestival.co.uk for details. Looking forward to it. Now, before we go, oh, it's just hitting me that that is our last episode. Episode. Mm-hmm. There's some bits and pieces to come, and there's, uh, there's I don't Friday think get... sprinkles, and who knows what else. But but in terms of we've watched Succession, and as we process it, and as you process it, here's what we think. That that's it. We're done. We're done. It was your idea. I poo pooed it. Mm-hmm. You said, we're just talking about this show all the time. Do you think people would like to listen to it? I said, does the world really need another Succession podcast? I did a little quick reading. I decided it did. (laughs) And honestly, and I I hate myself for sounding like Bob Hope or something, but it has, uh, it's meant a lot to us that people found it. And then that we were lucky enough to get to talk to all these people involved with the show and to be involved with that event with the finale off the back of it. So thank you. And this isn't a goodbye, goodbye, because as I said, we're back on Friday Sprinkles. But I also appreciate that there will be people at this point who think, I'm out. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you to those people who won't be back with us on Friday and won't be dipping in and out of whatever we do in the, in the future. But it was fun while it lasted. Yeah. And and we're not quite done yet because we haven't had Sarah's favourite turns of phrase, quotes, lines and expressions from this week's episode, The Succession Finale. Whatever jerk dungeon he's being pity spanked in, highly interchangeable modular part. It would be incredibly convenient because you'd be married to your husband. New Jess! New Jess! Peter did my eye drops. Face eggs. The colors go well. Is that a sentence? Joan of Waystar. Cunt is as cunt does. Shit gobbling and firefighting. Logan Mark II. But this time he's sexy. The incredible fuck brother bandwagon. A huge water subway of things that want to eat me. A pregnant cello. I'd like a word with you in my ass. Don't go down on Peter's special cheese. Second tier, excuse me, bereaved. They call that the second weak itch, I believe. You're a grilled cheese with a suck dick. 
All right, we're back on Friday with Sprinkles. What will Hugo be like in a job interview? Will Carl invite Frank to his Greek island? Or will his brother-in-law not like that? And uh, anyone up for a reunion, six to eight months' time, New York for Willis Play Reading. Yes. Sayonara, sweethearts. What a lovely bilingual moment right here at the end of things. But you know that's not what people want from you. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>